Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm Eric Silverman here with Jane Crosby. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. We're really excited about this week's interview. This is one of the favorites that we've done so far with Chris Pace from Banner Health. Now, Chris is the chief digital marketing executive at Banner Health, and it was a really inspiring and enjoyable conversation. We uh, we covered a lot of topics, right, Jane? But 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 some some familiar, but in a in a new way. Yeah, I really really enjoyed what Chris had to say about building a digital front door strategy, and I think a lot of what he talks about is through the lens of how the work they've done has helped them help their communities and their health system through the COVID pandemic. Um, but that doesn't have to be COVID advice. It doesn't have to be taken as COVID specific experiences. I think. The work that they've done to systemize their digital strategy across Arizona, Wyoming, Colorado, and the 30-plus hospitals that Banner operates um, is really, really valuable. And I think they've built a great consumer experience because they've implemented the same tools, same strategies, same tactics, and same consumer-friendly voice um, across multiple states. And I think that served them well through the pandemic and will continue to do so over time, taking notes from big brands like Delta and other large consumer brands. I thought that was really interesting as well. And, you know, we also got to kind of review some some tactical things, right? Like Chris talked to us about zero-click strategy it was a great analogy of trying to find the best sushi restaurant and how that connects to some healthcare strategy that I thought was 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 fun to fun to talk about and think about. And you know, Chris was really generous too in talking about some of his own personal experience with something that's called imposter syndrome, which frankly I didn't have a ton of familiarity with coming into um, our, our our prep for and, and then interview with with Chris. And I thought it was a kind of great, unique perspective that we don't get to hear a whole lot in the context of talking about the profession of digital marketing, but but the human side of that and, and what, what sometimes that can mean for those of us in the field doing the work. Yeah, I agree. And I think through the whole interview from talking about the politics it took to implement their digital front door strategy to imposter syndrome to some of the tactical level things that they're doing at Banner, Chris was really, really transparent and open about their experience. And I think that's why I enjoyed this interview so much. And hopefully everybody takes something away from this that they can implement in their own kind of day to day lives. It was a lot of fun for us. We hope it's a lot of fun for all of you to listen to. Let's get right into the interview with Chris Pace from Banner Health. Chris Pace, welcome to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This is very exciting to see you guys on Zoom and hear you and participate with this podcast. So very excited to be here. Well, we're we're really excited to have you. So I know I know we got to talk a little bit of it in advance. We're we're really excited to talk about digital as a growth driver and and what you've been able to achieve there. I'm really interested in some perspective from you on leadership. I've been been reading some of your um, articles on on LinkedIn and, and otherwise. You guys did some really unique things in COVID response that I think our listeners will be very very interested in, in hearing about. And you've got this incredibly diverse market that you serve with some interesting political dynamics on the ground as well. And, and we'd love to, to talk about that. So it's going to be great. Let's yeah, get let's get into it. Well, so maybe just to start, tell us a little bit about 
about the work side of things. Tell us about Banner Health and, and some of the things that you're working to accomplish in, in Arizona. Sure. So for those that don't know, Banner is a pretty large health system. We have actually, we just opened our first new hospital in Arizona in 10 years with Banner Ocotillo Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. So new market for us to serve in the Phoenix Metro. And we just recently acquired a hospital in Wyoming, Wyoming Medical Center in Casper. So that puts us over 30 hospitals and uh, we have 50 plus thousand employees and we cover the gamut from urgent care and primary care all the way to, you know, academic medicine in Tucson with our University of Arizona partnership. So it's a pretty diverse set of offerings that we have. But, you know, the unique thing about Banner that I really appreciate is the fact that it is a consumer focused customer focused organization. So you don't generally run into that with anything attached to academics. First of all, we know that's true. But secondly, you know, our mission statement is making healthcare easier so life can be better. It has nothing to do with quality. It has nothing to do with any of the, you know, nerdy stats that we focus on from an operations or clinical perspective. Those are absolutely important. But we do all that so that it can be easy for consumers to access our care offerings and, you know, get on with their lives. Because, I mean, really, who wants to be hearing from and attached to a health system, except for this little challenge we have in 2020 with uh, with the pandemic on our hands. But otherwise, you know, it's like normal course of business. And, you know, we're here when you when you need us. So it's been it's been pretty fascinating seeing that that flip and how we've responded. Well, it, it's really meaningful to, to hear you talk about, you know, I know we read the same research on kind of consumer perception of healthcare. It's like everybody expects the quality, everybody expects the centrism around excellence in the, the delivery stream, but to have your mission really focused on that individual consumer, it, it is unique. And, and, and it's, it's encouraging to hear, maybe talk a little bit about how that's manifest in what you have built and are building from a marketing standpoint? Yeah. So taking that leap, yeah, I've been with the organization almost three years, but so the the mission statement predates me, but, but really what it did was put the emphasis on solving for pain points. And we launched a digital front door effort. The, the story started in 2016 in the Banner Health boardroom. And it was a lot of discussions about, hey, you know, we're, we're behind in terms of digital consumerism, um, not just overall. I mean, everybody's kind of adapted to, you know, open table and, you know, the like Airbnb. Everything's on demand. Everything's easy to access except for healthcare. And so the board kind of looked at, you know, hey, where do we stack up against our competition? And then what features are we missing? And then we listened to our customers and did some research, worked with a very large consulting group that many health systems work with. Um, I won't name names, but and kind of like, you know, mapped out the patient journey and said, okay, billing's absolutely horrifying. Our website, you know, we have 30 different web properties, you know, and it's just super confusing. You know, our, our scheduling apparatus is, you know, non-existent. We have 300 or so phone queues that you have to go through to 
navigate your care. And then on the back end, we just had, you know, it was it was as if the house had, you know, pipes, but nothing was connected and there's water spilling everywhere. So so we had to really take focus at, okay, this is what we're going to accomplish. I think the story is we asked for five years, the board said, do it in three and here's the money. So that story started in 2018. And that's when I joined Banner was uh, the beginning of 2018. And we just went to work and we had a list of deliverables that we had to accomplish. And I mean, it was everything from synthesizing billing to building out a CRM to, you know, consolidating our websites, delivering a certain number of doctors on online scheduling and improve our find a doctor experience. I mean, you name it. And then all all along, just, you know, keep adding these digital features that connect to the, the plumbing so that we're not, you know, creating these one off experiences that are great from a from the appearance standpoint, but yet don't connect to anything and create, you know, operational challenges inside. One of the things I'm sorry, Jane, one of the things I'm, I'm really interested in, you know, thinking about the big lift of change in the strat planning that led up to your arrival at the organization, and then thinking about kind of marketing's role in the operational dimensions of that change and the marketing manifestation of that change and how it connects to consumer experience. That's a big kind of point of dialogue for for a lot of our clients. What's what's your view on the role that marketing has in operations and where that balance lives in order to be effective and also be able to focus on the core expertise? Yeah. So I think the fact that my boss, Alex Morehouse, is like revered as the one that solves these problems in every difficult industry. She did it in financial services. She's done it now, you know, two times in healthcare. And so she has a knack for including all the folks early on. And I think, you know, our digital front door effort, while it, you know, it sounds sort of like trite as like, you know, I mean, everybody and any business has to have a digital front door. I mean, it's however you define it, right? But the key point was, you know, we had to include clinical, we had to include ops. And of course, marketing is sort of the engine that presents it out to consumers and, and t- sort of tells the story. So, you know, having all of those teams involved and sort of this with us, not for us mentality, I think is really how we were able to be successful with it. You know, operations, for example, you know, Another great thing about Banner is that it's systematic. So I've worked at other, you know, another health system where every hospital, every CEO, every, you know, it was like super siloed. So, you know, one hospital in one market may not like what the system wants to do. So they just go their own way. And that was allowed. Banner is all for one, one for all. So no matter which hospital you're at in Colorado, Nevada, Arizona, you know, we all kind of live by the same mission. We all have the same marching orders and we all do things for the greater whole. And I think that, you know, had we not had that org structure and operational efficiency mindset, you know, this would have crumbled from day one. And it's probably why a lot of systems struggle with this stuff. One of the things that I see a lot of other systems struggle with, too, is they hear feedback from leadership that they want to be more like Airbnb or OpenTable yep. 
their vet who calls them to ask how their dog's doing. And that kind of stuff can be really frustrating because it is not that simple in healthcare. And I feel like a lot of systems throw tools at it without thoroughly vetting how those tools interact with everything they've already invested in. How did you make decisions around what to cut and who to hire in terms of vendor support? Yeah. So, and I think that that jives with a statement I say a lot in conferences and it's like, you know, strategy first, tool second. You cannot just assume that some widget is going to solve all your problems and you have to know what problems you need to solve and prioritize them. So in our vendor selection, it it really stemmed from, you know, that digital front door strategy of what do we need to solve for? And then as we invited, you know, platforms in, you know, there's there's some that are, you know, they claim to be turnkey. It's all in a box and you can kind of run with it. We needed something that fit our needs. So we're a Cerner um, shop, uh, one of the biggest in the country on one instance of Cerner. And Cerner is pretty tight with their controls of what you can and can't do with it. So when we looked at, you know, our, our tech stack, we needed to have a platform that could speak to Cerner. And first, we had to get Cerner to agree to allowing that. And they claimed that we didn't need a CRM. They were our CRM. We're like, no, no, you're not. Sorry. So we built our own API layer that could talk to Cerner and pull data in. And then, you know, we went with Salesforce, top to bottom, sales cloud, health cloud, marketing cloud, because it was the solution that provided the most flexibility to attach to the systems we have. So uh, we have a pretty substantial call center operation, 850 or so agents, and we field millions of calls a year. But, you know, if we don't know the customer and we don't have like that single screen view like airlines and financial services have, then we're wasting time servicing calls where, um, you know, which costs money. There's a true cost and that's the most expensive environment to handle customer service is on a phone channel versus what you could do self-serve online. But having one line of sight to the customer creates opportunities for us, not only in the call setting, but click in and walk in as well. We can have one view that serves many and is customizable to the individual that needs to access information. So, you know, it it was really kind of chasing what Delta and American Express built. And, you know, that's what we've kind of set our sights on. One kind of follow on question to that, I know Salesforce is such a powerful platform and for a system of your size, there's so much that you can do with it to realize the full potential. It takes a lot of time to set things up right. And if you don't set them up right, it costs a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and resources to go back and correct that. What did you do while you took the time to set it up right to still generate patient volumes and continue to grow your organization? Yeah, so that was... um... There was some bumpy roads on the journey, I will say, because you know our our initial attempt at implementation of Salesforce fell on its face, and we had to realize that and then switch to inside resources versus outside resources because we ultimately had to build this to suit our needs, and we just weren't getting that from our partner. So that created some significant challenges. So in the meantime, you have to keep the lights on while you're building this. So it was a pretty methodical plan where once we had the the tools in place, we could 
scale up with certain agent pods so that we could present it in front of them while not disrupting the rest. And that was a, you know, I mean, we have some pretty intelligent folks in our call center operation that are design, like system design engineers, and they speak a language I don't understand. But I mean, they, they have everything down to a science as far as looking at the data, adjusting, you know, people in the places they need to be. And then there's been a lot of cross-skilling and cross-training with agents so that as demand ebb and flows, you know, if you don't know your data, then you don't know how to do this. But we were able to get everything collapsed down into like one call system and one analytics platform so that we could see, be able to see those, those things. And as we implemented features to a pod of agents, we had the other legacy folks, you know, working and we could just watch in real time, like, how is this impacting efficiency? And that kind of gave us the signals to, hey, now we can put more on the new platform because we're learning and learning and learning and it's becoming more efficient than the legacy. And so it was just a lot of that air traffic controlling going on. So in this kind of implementation, you know, you mentioned in some of our, our dialogue leading up to today, it ended up being incredibly timely given the scalability that you achieved under the, the current circumstances. And that's a, that's a really powerful story. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, going way back when, decades ago this year, in the months of March and April, you know, we, we, we serve six states. So Arizona is our primary market. We have the biggest footprint. But Colorado came out the gate pretty high with infection. And, you know, they were having to issue visitor restriction policies much earlier than Arizona did. Um, but we needed a way to syndicate and scale that messaging out in real time, because I think in the month of April alone, we had 150 changes to visitor policy. And, you know, you can't do that, you know, by snail mail or email or whatever. I mean, you have to be able to plumb that that information into agent scripting in real time. Thankfully, we had Salesforce in place where we could do that. With the website, you know, we, you know, I mentioned like four years ago, there were 30 sites and they were all on some Microsoft 2002 content management system. So everything was basically hard coded. So in order for us to be able to scale out messaging across those sites, we would have had to work with IT to do it. Now we're on uh, Sitecore 9.2 and we're able to launch that messaging out in real time. And, you know, our COVID page was our heaviest traffic page and we were able to, you know, adjust our resources so that that page loaded fast so that it could be present for consumers that were looking for information. We, you know, have 3.2 million customers in our CRM. So what better way to get messaging out to consumers in real time, you know, that and personalize it so that it looks like it's from your PCP um, than leveraging a platform like that. So we could talk about telehealth. We launched a telehealth platform out of nowhere in April. And, you know, we were getting thousands of appointments a week because we just had it and we were able to message it out. So these things were unplanned, but the scalability of technology and process and governance and all the other things that we had in place prepared us so that we could, you know, communicate in faster and more effectively than our competition. 
That's great. Thinking a little bit more about the actual communications and content that you used, I know you're in a really challenging kind of political environment too in Arizona where what Banner was saying in terms of masking and social distancing wasn't necessarily backed up at the policy level. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges that you faced there and what you were able to accomplish and hopefully encouraging your community to mask up and stay at home? Yeah, so we have our own... Dr. Fauci, uh, her name is Dr. Marjorie Bessel, and she has kind of become the face of Banner during the pandemic. And we also have, I mean, some of the best PR professionals I've ever encountered in my career on, on our team. And it's just been steady messaging, leadership from SLT down, CEO down, across all of our markets, uh, beating the same drum. And then, you know, pivoting our our messaging to align with all of those things that we were getting out there. So, you know, that that really put us in a position of advantage and in per- particular in Arizona, because we have, you know, the the line of communication in with the county health department. Maricopa County is, you know, five and a half million people. It's 65, 70 percent of the state. So what happens in Maricopa County kind of dictates what happens in the state. And, um, you know, we have levers there that we could, we could pull and really partner with the, the state to make things happen. Now, the other side of the coin is we also have a presence in the state of Wyoming, which they are actively not masking in that state. And I, you know, to the point where, you know, there's certain town halls and stuff that get shut down because the non-mask side is so persistent that the government just kind of caves to it. So it's a very different, you know, Arizona does feel a bit wild west and individualistic at times, but you know, then we have the comparison of Wyoming and and other states where it just gets really hot topics. So we just can't be swayed by it because our goal is to protect our healthcare workers. And the best way to do it is keep the masks on and um, you know, distance and you know, coming into the holidays, you know, this is going to be a tough time because, you know, the weather is finally nice here in Arizona. You know, we had 150 days of 100 degrees this year. So, you know, today it's, I think, 68 and uh, for a high and it's like nice to go outside. And you see I'm bundled up because I can't handle the cold anymore. <laughs> but um, but, you know, I mean, this is the the thing where, you know, we're seeing some states that it's cold and people can't go outside anymore. So they're congregating indoors and the infection rates are spiking like in Illinois and, you know, parts of the East Coast. Meanwhile, states like ours are, you know, I think people are kind of letting off the, they're letting their guard down. You know, schools are open, restaurants are open. And, you know, without the messaging in place, I mean, you know, I can only imagine what the numbers would be like, but, you know, we're just prepared for, Hey, this is going to be a bumpy ride this winter. Snowbirds are still coming here and um, people are still going to gather for Thanksgiving and Christmas. So our messaging is just do what you can to stay home and stay distant and you know stick with your quarantines uh, as best you can. One quick question that I think connects back to the mission of the organization that, that you talked about a little bit. So you mentioned that you really have established a voice of banner and 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 with that around the the pandemic your mission you know you mentioned this idea that you know people don't really want to have a ton of connectivity to a healthcare organization but you've really focused on what's in it for them 
And 2020 is an interesting exception in that healthcare organizations in particular have a voice and a platform and an opportunity for this intense credibility that consumers are really looking to the healthcare institutions like Banner for guidance on on what's happening and what's next. And I wonder how that influences your perception of what the opportunities are for marketing going forward, not just around the, the pandemic, but, but in general, this moment in time where everybody's looking to us, what does that mean for how we kind of take up that mantle of opportunity in a marketing way? So that's a great question. Um, you know, I think this is, again, where luck kind of collided with reality. You know, our positioning of our brand aligned really well with our mission statement because it was, you know, we use this term exhale. That's kind of our tagline. And the manifestation of that term is that you can breathe a sigh of relief because things are easy. And, you know, given COVID, things aren't easy. So we had to kind of walk away a bit from that message. But the other thing that we've really worked closely with our brand agency on is getting our voice to align with what we call the wise guide. And, you know, it's the trusted friend that is also in healthcare kind of uh, voice. And when the pandemic struck and, you know, Dr. Bessel became the face of who we were, um, she really aligns with the wise guide. She's, you know, has that just demeanor and tone and like things are going to be okay, but we need to be smart. We need to be diligent in our approach to addressing this pandemic and we're all in it together. And um, so that wise guide approach really put us in a position where we could, again, differentiate, but also kind of stand on our platform as the largest health system and the largest employer in Arizona and really just like deliver to the trust. The other thing we've been watching is we, we do a lot of consumer research on our own. We have an internal customer insights team and we pull our service areas every week and we kind of track it over time against certain message points and proof points that we think we want to align with, but we let the, the, the data guide us. And what we learned is that who do people trust the most? Government's pretty low right now, you know, but health systems and your doctor in particular are the highest. So we doubled down on that, um, knowing that that's who, you know, we, we do have trust. We do have favor with um, most consumers. So therefore, that kind of solidified what our messaging platform would be. And, you know, it's proven out. I mean, we, we track how are we doing, you know, in terms of uh, our safety messaging and, and, you know, safety protocols in our care settings. And we're leading our competition. You know, these are blinded studies. So we don't come in and say, hey, we're banner asking you. We're asking uh, for on behalf of all health systems and the markets we serve. And we're outperforming in every metric. So, you know, the, the message is getting out there and it's working. Chris, you've talked a lot about the work that your internal teams have done, and I've always found it interesting in the times I've chatted with you and others on your team that you seem to lean on in-source versus outsource. Would you mind talking a little bit about that, both in terms of your digital transformation and all of the other marketing activity that you do? When, if all, do you partner with other firms? 
Yeah, so what we've tried to do, and, and I've done this in, in terms of like who I look at from a talent perspective, I really try to focus on that top third of the skill set and apply those people to the, the areas that they focus. And I think from a, a team perspective, what we do is we, we're basically a team of strategists for lack of better terms. I mean, we like on service line, for example, you know, we do a lot of paid advertising and social and so forth, but my service line marketers do not create that stuff. They align with business goals, build a plan that delivers upon those shared agreements. And then we work with our advertising team who then works with agency to actually execute. So we don't have like people buying keywords internally. We we definitely outsource that. But, you know, as far as like framing the strategy, understanding the messaging, aligning it to brand, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. And the way we've been able to do that is we've implemented, you know, project management tools so that, you know, everybody has like a line of sight to what's being accomplished. We've delivered, we've developed cross-channel communications meetings. So, if the call center is hearing a bunch of feedback about, you know, visitor restrictions, for example, we were able to turn that into content for the website that could maybe relieve some of those calls. So it's right tool for the strategy, clearly. But, you know, your most expensive resources are internal because, you know, of all the costs of having folks. So we want to make sure we're lean enough to be able to be nimble and then you know have the flexibility to augment our teams with agency support when we need it. IT is a completely different beast because you know again we have everything from product owners to analysts to developers inside and also outside the organization and it's you know it's it's a kind of a beautiful thing to watch as a an outsider and a customer of our IT services because they're able to scale up and scale down with need based on that same model. Interesting stuff. Is there anything that's on your horizon for the next few months that you've either learned because of the pandemic or uncovered as you implement your digital front door strategy that's like the next tool or piece of the puzzle that you're hoping to implement? Yeah. So, you know, I think the learnings from digital front door are that scale matters and we've got to continue to double down on that, that capability. So, you know, there's still some manual processes that we go through with, you know, like content creation, you know, that we want our content to be seen sort of agnostic of the of the where. So, you know, working with our app team, for example, to instead of just pulling RSS feeds, you know, get access into Sitecore's headless uh, CMS capabilities. So they could actually subscribe to content directly through that that application. Um, that's that's ob- obviously one area. Our site is still too slow and I'm not happy about it and I will never be happy about it. So whatever we can do to improve site speed, because Google is, you know, awaiting next year with, you know, new changes to the ads platform that is going to include site speed as a metric, not just, you know, whoever has the highest bid wins the auction, but also you better be able to deliver content when the user clicks. So that's important. GDPR, you know, it's not here yet, but I imagine with, you know, administration changes coming that we're going to start looking and behaving more like the rest of the world 
again. And so we need to, you know, get our site GDPR compliant. You know, there's, uh, there's other areas like, you know, we're working from home, we're not around each other, you don't get the FaceTime with, you know, important folks in the organization as often. So career development is going to become a big question mark, you know, how do we because we're doing a lot of the work and doing great work, but how do we, you know, reduce burnout? How do we improve collaboration? How do we learn how to work in this environment? Because this is probably here to stay. So, you know, thinking ahead to, you know, cross cross training and, and getting folks partnering with different teams so that we can, you know, glean insights of what they're worried about and focused on and, and offer opportunities and solutions for our team members to get involved with different projects. That's going to be really important because it's sort of, you know, you live by the sword, die by the sword. You know, I hired people that, you know, I'm applying top third skill set to certain areas, but, you know, how do you grow from that? You know, you don't want to take that skill set away and put it somewhere else because that is what they're best at. But, you know, it's not the right thing for a development perspective. So we just need to be flexible and just listen. You know, like I, I'm very fortunate because I have daily calls with my, you know, my leader, Alex, and, you know, my peers that report to her. And we can surface these things up, you know, every day. And, uh, we've had opportunities where I've had team members that help fill in in the call center, which, you know, who would ever think that this scenario would pop up, but we're fielding millions of calls about COVID and other things that, you know, with a little bit of training and the great tools we have, you could kind of plop in and, and add new skills or at least appreciation of the folks that are in that area. So, you know, it's it's opened up things that would have never come had this event not happened. So it's just a matter of finding those uh, those bright points and kind of driving to them. I'd love to ask you a little bit more about the, the leadership piece in light of the current work circumstances. You're, you're working from home now and, and your team is. Our team is all working from home, has been since March and will be for the foreseeable future. And when, when we talked earlier, you mentioned some of the gaps that that opens up in terms of connectivity and, you know, you don't get the water cooler conversations, so to speak, that, that, that you would have in an office environment. You write a lot about leadership on, on LinkedIn. I've read an article of yours about passion, um, one about kind of perception of your own skill set. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're learning or maybe some of the things that we should be thinking about as we're leading teams in this time. Yeah. So I think, you know, you, you hit on a couple of the areas that are passion points in mind. Another one that is sort of the exposure of vulnerability is imposter syndrome. I am very, very passionate about that topic because it can be crippling. And, you know, had I not had my sort of mea culpa and, you know, gone through years of therapy to fix it, or at least recognize it, had this situation popped up during uh, my peak imposter syndrome years, I, it would have been disastrous. So, you know, I think as leaders, how do we show up? You know, everything's chaotic. And, you know, I mean, we're dealing with not only just the stress of noise figuratively and, you know, the news, but we're dealing with noise in the house because we're, you know, working in a different environment. And, you know, you're also dealing with the emotions of kids if you have them or parents that you maybe can't see because you want to, you know, see them next Christmas and the future Christmases. So you're staying off, you know, their, their front porch for a bit. 
it's it's a lot and you know i think for me i've been able to sort of focus on the things that keep me calm and that's really what i've been trying to do for my team this year is not get as rattled or excited be more, you know have more grace with people you know as far as you know due dates or you know people have appointments that are popping up and you know it, i i just I'm like, you know, the work gets done and I know people, you know, don't know how to end the day. Um, that's another thing when you're working from home. It's like you're always at work. You sleep at work now and you have to find a way to distance. So like what I did is I created a workstation in my house that I don't visit on the weekends. I don't visit it on, you know, during, uh, you know, the nighttime it's just this place that I come in the morning, I commute down the hall and, you know, plop down in my chair. But, um, you know, it's just, it's a matter of trying to figure out your environment. And then for those that are like, you know, maybe not in leadership positions that are looking for, you know, how to deliver and how to still get, you know, the FaceTime and, and show value because, you know, again, it's, you can only show so much in a Zoom meeting. You know, I think it's really just trying to find new opportunities that present themselves with the work you're doing. So for example, um, you know, I have uh, some team members that are on the website team. That's one of my areas that I cover. And, um, you know, we've, we've had a little bit of like, you know, hyper, you know, work ridiculous hours because of all the changes that were coming. And, you know, we, we also like tripled down on our SEO strategy this year. We invested in we added 10% more content to the site than we had in the past. And, you know, that that was an investment because we didn't have advertising running. So we might as well do something with it. So that created new opportunities for the team to understand, you know, where our gaps were, how to, you know, use keywords as guides and all that, you know, the the, the basics in SEO, you know, and then we also really doubled down on like our zero click strategy, you know, so local SEO, getting all that knocked out. and um, you know, it just created new avenues for folks. And, you know, they're identifying opportunities that we may not have been able to locate in, in the past because we weren't paying attention to it or we were just, you know, focused on something else. So, you know, it's just a matter of like, you know, figuring out what what questions you want to be able to answer and then trying to find solutions to them. And then, you know, having a voice. Um, you know, one of the things that's on my to-do list for next year is um, being able to influence others at scale. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate. I have a kind of a, you know, a, a good position here at Banner that has a lot of attention on it. And I have a boss that empowers me. So, you know, it's, it's time to like leverage that and, and position myself as, you know, hey, I'm part of this big digital footprint that we have here. Um, you know, my site is, you know, top 10 in the industry now. So, you know, let's kind of get invited into more conversations and, and influence without being present. Cause you know, I, I'm good at influencing in a room, but you know, when I'm sitting here with at my desk, you know, on zoom meetings, I got to figure out ways to be able to influence from afar and influence, uh, you know, at scale. So like great podcast for the healthcare. Exactly, industry. exactly. Thought leadership. That's big. <laughs> um, you know, I'm bouncing around a little bit and, and just, just a couple couple quick things that, that I'm interested in and I want to be respectful of your time. Maybe I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit about 
your zero click strategy about how the advent of zero click search is, is growing and kind of what that means for you as a healthcare marketer. And maybe just talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Sure. And um, I think with, uh, you know, Apple's big event, you know, yesterday and then a couple months ago, you know, with the new phones, uh, finally 5G is going to become, you know, pretty prevalent. So mobile, I mean, we, we've been talking about mobile forever and being present in mobile is important. Having a mobile responsive website is important, but where the wins happen is in um, what I call, you know, what's called zero click. And for those that don't know, zero click is, I'll use a sushi example. So, you know, over the weekend, I wanted to get sushi. I was in downtown Gilbert, Arizona. I put sushi near me, saw that I was across the street from a sushi restaurant and I did nothing. I didn't click. I didn't call. I just walked to the location. So that is inherently zero click. And it's, it's, it's a, difficult thing for marketers because we all want calls to action right and track uh, trackability and that is almost impossible to track so how do you optimize it because i think something like 70 75 percent of mobile search results in no click now and that's 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 huge and frightening because you know like the web traffic for bannerhealth.com is like 60 to 65 percent mobile so what could we, what are we missing out on um, kind of creates a FOMO opportunity. So what we've done that I think has been really successful is first, we got our data accurate. That's number one. You have to know what your locations are called, where they are, phone numbers, and have it consistent. So we built out that database on brick and mortar side and doctor side and then syndicate it. Google's the most important that they have, what, 80% of location share or something like that. So you got to be right there first, but you also have to be right everywhere else. So, you know, we partner with Yext on syndication. There's many solutions out there that can do similar things, but we have location accuracy across like 70 different listing sites. And Google, the only reason that matters, it's not like people are going there and using this in a zero click environment, but... Google is indexing that stuff and fact checking your data with the facts elsewhere and then truing it up with your listings on GMB. And um, if you're wrong, you're going to be playing location whack-a-mole for the rest of your life. If you're right, Google likes you and will pump you up to the top. So if someone's typing in urgent care near me on their mobile device, you're going to show up first. And most people use that on the way and they're just going right, to maybe even while they're driving, even though they shouldn't be. And um, you, you go there and you're pre you're present. Now, there are some people that still click. So you still have to have those calls to action in place and know what you want to what you want that person to do, because it's a attention span economy. You don't have a whole lot of time to sift through a bunch of stuff. So, you know, we have online check in. I think a lot of healthcare systems at this point do where you can, uh, you know, signal when you're going to arrive. And, you know, we are now driving 200,000 visits a year just from our online check-in tool. Uh, it's like a third of the business now. So we've hit kind of the holy grail metric in that space. Panera Bread has the same metric. That about a fourth of their business comes from online. A third of ours is coming from online. So that's that's kind of what you have to look to and, and um, you know, capitalize on that, that game because location and maps are, are going to supersede desktop search if they already haven't. It's a great perspective. 
I want to ask you about one more thing. Okay. So I don't want to ask you to put your therapist hat on. but for Oh, that's my favorite thing, though. Our listeners who don't know what imposter syndrome is. Yes. What is it? And what are the pitfalls in an environment like this? And what should they be thinking about to overcome it? Okay. So imposter syndrome is kind of simplified as the fear of being found out. So what this means and what it meant for me was, you know, typically people that were, when things come easy to somebody, and this was me, because I'm, I'm five years into the marketing space or six years. Prior to that, I was a strategy analyst. I was doing plotting for like, you know, how big an ER should be and how, how many urgent cares we should build in a market based on population and utilization rates and all that boring stuff. So I, I came over to marketing. I'm like, I'm not a marketing person. I, I you know, I, I don't know how to differentiate creative. I, I'm not a good writer. So I know all these things about myself. And so, but, but certain stuff came easy to me, like, you know, audience segmentation and all that stuff and, you know, targeting. So I was like, all right, well, I mean, this is easy enough, so I can do it. But then I just assumed that everybody can do that. I mean, why wouldn't you be able to, you know, create a pivot table and do like this deep analysis on on keywords and figure out which, you know, kind of money ball it to figure out which uh, keywords are going to pay the biggest dividends. So, you know, what I, I the thing that sort of tilted me along with the years of therapy and sort of understanding myself and being true to what I am is, you know, there's this Venn diagram and you can find it on my LinkedIn, one of my uh, posts that I put up. So it's the things you know, the things other people know, and then there's the overlap. And that overlap is significantly smaller than people give credit to themselves for. So everybody has a unique gift and a skill set that they can bring to the table. And it's not fair to yourself to assume that you aren't a leader in whatever space you're a leader in. So when I lead others, what I like to recognize in them is the 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 skills and the values and the and the gifts that they have and really identify them because that's what worked for me. I needed to hear that from people that I trusted and this is what my therapist told me. She said, you know, you you trust so and so. You trust Alex Morehouse you know, that she knows what she's talking about. Yeah, of course I do. And, you know, she wouldn't make a big mistake by putting somebody that doesn't know what they're doing in the seat that you're in, right? And I said, well, yeah, why Why would? And then you start like kind of walking away from like, man, I'm an idiot. Like, what? what is wrong with me? Why am I, why am I built this way? Um, but, you know, it's just a matter of like, you know, high achievement people, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be better every time. And, um, you know, I'm never satisfied with what I've done. And I think that that puts you in a, in a mental disadvantage with yourself when you're having those internal dialogues and trying to rationalize and justify your existence when, you know, you're never satisfied with the results you create. So it just becomes a circular loop and it's frustrating as hell. <laughs> And is it fair to say that the manifestation of this recognition in part informs your top third strategy for how you deploy your team and other people. Like, isn't that the part of it? It absolutely does. That's a great call out. And because, you know, in that, in that Venn diagram, you know, you want to 
keep the circles as far apart as possible. I mean, everybody has overlap, but if you separate those by putting that top third in every spot, then, you know, you never live in fear that someone's going to come try and eat your lunch because you're the expert, right? So, you know, I guess there is probably unintended consequence there because, you know, you got to be driven, you know, and you got to be hungry and chase for more and competition does put you there. But, you know, if it's top third, then there's a little bit of wiggle room for the competition layer. Well, it's, you know, to me, it's a great paradigm in thinking about how do we surround ourselves with great people? How do we make sure that we're appropriately creating an environment where we get to work with people who are better than us at certain things? And then your framework, you know, if you've read it in the LinkedIn article, it's very good. It, it rationalizes that in a way that that demonstrates our expertise and great framework for leadership, I think. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, building a team that the parts are, you know, greater together than they are individually. I mean, that's kind of an old saying and, you know, it's been proven time and time again. But, you know, you have to be pretty vulnerable as a leader to be able to do that. And if you are a micromanager, that strategy does not work and you can never be successful with it. So you have to be able to trust your people and trust your instincts and just let the results happen because, I mean, you know, we're not going to make mistakes, hopefully, that are going to, you know, kill babies. That's one of the things my boss always says. We're not, you know, nothing we're going to do is going to kill babies. Um, so as long as we're, you know, sticking to our data and understanding and learning from it and being able to pivot and be flexible, then, you know, you can accomplish just about anything. Really it's cool. great perspective. Sorry, Jane, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's great perspective. And it's something that I've struggled with over the years too, and when to be hard on myself and when to kind of let things roll off because I, I'm harder on myself than anybody else possibly could be. And one of the things in realizing that about myself is I feel like it's helped me, especially this year, give other people grace. And one of the biggest things I think I've learned in the last couple of years is that not everyone knows everything that I do. I don't know everything that everyone else does. And not everyone is as competitive and as motivated to succeed and and get ahead as I am. And as leaders, we can't always have that expectation of our teams. Have you found that as well? And has it helped you kind of tempered your expectations of folks? Yeah. And so that's the balance of calm because, you know, people that are like super driven, sounds like you might have a little bit of the imposter syndrome and, you know, we could talk offline about how to, how to work through that. But, you know, I mean, driven people tend to be high energy, tend to be, um, you know, difficult or could be difficult if not balanced with something else. So that's where like this year, you know, steady, calm, you know, try not to get rattled, be rational, that that's sort of my balancing act of, you know, the the inner Chris that's telling me, how do you think? Why do you think you're good at this? You know, why 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 do you think that this approach is the best approach? And you know, th- you're trying to do this stuff in a pandemic. I mean, you know, it, it, are you making mistakes? And you know, all on and on and on. And it's like, shut up, just shut up. You know, <laughs> we'll deal with the, we'll deal with all that noise later. Right now, it's like we got to be focused and looking forward and not reflecting too much on the stuff that's already happened. It's generous of you to share the perspective, and, and I appreciate you indulging me on it. I will kind of observe that it connects back so much to 
the discussion of scale that we talked about, both in kind of professional development and organizational development. If we can recognize and surround ourselves with people who don't overlap us too much in the Venn diagram, we can build really dynamic teams. And that in an environment where you don't micromanage informs scale in a really meaningful way. And so there's a kind of great connectivity to your perspective on imposter syndrome and what the opportunity to overcome it means not just for us as people, but as marketers, right? And for our businesses as well. Chris Pace, thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you as part of the podcast. Well, thank you very much. This is a great way to spend the almost lunch hour. So I appreciate it.